Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Today, we're going to go meta. Yeah, we're going to talk about what makes... I mean, we talk about, so we talk about a lot of machine learning papers and blog right. posts and stuff on this podcast. We're going to talk about uh, a, some discussion that I was reading about recently about what makes some of those papers good or bad, which is not something that maybe we think about in exactly those terms every week. Awesome. Sounds good. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So good and bad are very loaded terms. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that that was exactly uh, the way that the researchers were writing in this paper, but we're talking about a paper called Troubling Trends in Machine Learning Scholarship, uh, written by a couple of folks, Zachary Lipton and Jacob Steinhardt. Um, but the title kind of tells you that this is staking out uh, a point of view on, you know, kind of declaring us a, a certain amount of machine learning scholarship to be controversial or troubling in, and, and talking about exactly what they mean by that and why it's troubling. And I thought that was, that was like an interesting thing for me to think about a little bit anyway, because like I said, there's so many of these things that I kind of chew through and in some cases have my opinions about whether they're good papers or not. And so reading somebody who is thinking about this explicitly was a little bit interesting for me. That's an interesting topic. And I, I guess it kind of offers, it offers an opportunity for reflection on what we do every week, actually, because really what we're doing is kind of uh, trying to take ideas many of them are relatively new ideas or ideas that are covered in papers like or, or blog posts like you mentioned and uh and try to distill them down and um and cover them and explain them in a way that's you know both interesting for experts and also accessible for beginners so i guess that that kind of raises the question for me what makes a good episode and i think that at least for me one of the most important things of what makes a good episode is that it is um, accessible to its target audience, right? Um, so that means, like, if we use jargon, then we provide the necessary explanation of what that jargon means. Or, or if we have uh, concepts that we're covering, we try to use metaphors that are that, that are um, understandable by by anybody. Yeah, I think that that's, that's about how I think about this podcast, too. And I think it's worth pointing out how that's different from what a machine learning paper maybe should be doing. Mm. Um, and at least this is a little bit my opinion, but it's probably what a lot of academics would agree with is, you know, part of what you're trying to do when you write a paper is to very, especially a technical paper in something like machine learning, like where you're talking about a new algorithm, for example, is you're actually writing down in a very technical and precise sense. Like in particular, if you're expressing some of these ideas mathematically, you're saying what the algorithm actually is and how it works. And that that is a slightly distinct thing from trying to make it so that people can understand your result or mm -hmm. why it matters, which are also really, really important. But I just want to acknowledge up front that, uh, you know, I, we're covering this paper because I think it's interesting. Um, but I think that in total candor, like we obviously prioritize the accessibility over the, the rigid pr preciseness sometimes of the material. Um, 
And so just to acknowledge that these are these are things that the field in general is struggling with, but I wouldn't say that that we have ever been perfect with respect to some of these complaints. So I'm just yeah, I'm just definitely. saying I'm 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 not casting stones at glass houses or whatever. Oh yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, but anyway, and I, and I think it's I think it's interesting to and, and important to at least in my opinion. I'm I'm not summer I'm not. Uh, paraphrasing anything they say in this paper like the the paper sort of starts in a slightly different place so this is just my own this is my own opinion but it's also worth thinking through like what is a paper trying to do and what do you need to accomplish in a paper and so if there are places where there's some imprecision or some places where the paper isn't isn't you know perfect in some ways like what what does that even mean so interesting in, yeah interesting so so in a sense I don't know. In, in a sense, one of the strengths is uh, of this podcast is afforded to us by the fact that we don't have to be rigid, rigidly precise. Whereas a paper, like the whole point of the paper, is yes to communicate uh, effectively, but to communicate very exactly what the new algorithm is or whatever it is. At least certain types of papers, yeah. And, you know, one of the criticisms that they level in this paper is sometimes when there are papers that are aimed a little bit more at uh, intuition, understanding, explanation, rather mm. than very precise definition, sometimes the line between those two can be sort of blurry in a way that it looks like you're giving a precise definition, but what you're really doing is creating a metaphor or generating some some intuitive explanation and that you know being as precise as possible about this is a this is a mathematical definition versus this is this isn't a precise mathematical definition but it's a it's a close analogy that's going to help you understand this you know those are the kinds of things that um when there's a lack of clarity between those two that's like an example of what they would call a troubling trend in machine learning scholarship um, so let me just start with like a quick overview uh, of the paper. What are some of the things that they're talking about? Um, and they start by saying, what are some of the things that make for a good research paper? A few examples of, of attributes. It should provide intuition and distinguish that intuition from evidence-based conclusions. That intuition and evidence-based conclusions are slightly different things, and a paper should not uh, ambiguate between the two. Uh, it should describe empirical investigations that consider and rule out hypotheses. So it should lay out sort of a research program. We had this idea about perhaps this is how the world worked. This is how we chewed through that. These are the results that we got. Uh, these are all of the results that we got. And ideally, just based on the the descriptions that we've given here and maybe some supplementary materials like a like a you know, notebooks and a code repo or something, you could recreate all of these results. Um, so it's kind of a research log and, and summary. Um, number three, make clear the relationship between theory and intuition or experiment. Uh, so in machine learning, there's the theoretical sides of it. And then there's also what, how should we think about this or what happens when we put it into into practice. Uh, and so make clear what the relationship is between those two. And then last is use language that is clear and precise. And uh, in machine learning, especially, there's a lot of jargon, like you said. Um, and so this is obviously a place where we sometimes play a 
a little bit faster and looser than we would if we were speaking in an academic setting. Uh, but when you're in an academic setting, the the expectation, one would hope, is that the words that you're using are as clear and as precise as they reasonably could be. Sound reasonable as the, the attributes of a good research paper? Those do. Those sound very reasonable. Um, it, it seems like a lot of it just comes down to be clear about what the language you're using is, you know, like be careful not to uh, put your theories forth as if they're uh, something else or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that in order for the field to maintain the trust of the people who read these papers, uh, they need to feel like the papers are accessible. They're clear. They're giving a fair representation of, both the the letter and the spirit of the of the work that was done and are fairly representing any scholarly advances that are summarized there um a, a, a counterpoint might be there was you know there's been some kerfuffle in the last couple of years where there have been a lot of people who've gone back and tried to replicate psychology papers um right and yeah. And yeah, and recognized that or, or found that very few of them could actually be replicated, which and some of the some of the biggest ones cannot be replicated because they're unethical, like the the Milgram mm -hmm. experiments or any of those. Uh, yeah, sure. But of the ones who that can be replicated, you know, they tried Even to those go are, through and replicate. Yeah. yeah, I think you know several hundred different experiments, and we're finding oh, that. Wow. Uh, yeah, and and we're finding that it was it was quite hard to. Uh, replicate them, and so what that what that implies is kind of that the papers all along were not describing you know, kind of like a real thing, but that through you know manipulations of experimental design or slight exaggerations in the way that they represented these results or bad luck or whatever uh, that basically there's pieces of psychology that people have been walking around for decades thinking are true and that might not have been true and that really erodes trust in in the field as a whole and so that's a little bit of a an extreme case uh you know a worst case scenario but it was pretty pretty jarring to a lot of the folks who who follow this stuff like it's not it's not fun to think that there's a lot of science that people have been working on for many many years that was never really a you know potentially there wasn't ever actually any real effect there so that's what yeah. we would like to try to avoid in machine learning is having people think you know oh, machine learning like those folks don't know what they're talking about so um this stuff matters because it's how you create that trust interesting so i so here's a here's a question um some things some some of these papers might include things that are mathematically provable right and that could be seen as as kind of the most idealized, I mean, it is literally a proof, right? So, but then there are, there are some other things where you might say, okay, well, this is not provable, uh, or we haven't found a way to mathematically prove this algorithm does what it says it does, or gets our local, get gets our true minimum or whatever, but it seems to work, right? So in those situations, do like, do you have to be, I guess, how, how, how can you be rigorous without something that is, uh, that is as black and white and crystal clear as something that's 
maybe mathematically provable and you just have to look at the steps and make sure that they're all valid well i mean there's other ways that you can demonstrate that something seems to be uh true besides just a mathematical proof and namely that you can run experiments on it and report the results of those experiments um and so that's obviously what good scientific papers do is they aim to have kind of a, a good research methodology for working through all the different scenarios and reporting back on the results of those experiments and and when doing the the statistical analysis at the end to say whether there's something there's there's some kind of interesting result that they want to report out taking into account the fact that there's potentially lots of different lots of different scenarios they were testing and so you have to do some corrections for that and anyway that's what statistics is for and i so i think that that's that's one thing just to mention is that uh, you don't necessarily have to prove something with math in order to show that it's true. You can also prove it with experimental evidence. And then in places where you're you're trying to explain something or you don't have a uh, or or you do have some experimental evidence that there's ways that you can distinguish that from speculation just in the words that you use. So mm. the authors in this example, they, they cited a line from one of their own papers. So they were kind of their, their own villains, uh, in parts of mm. this story, which I, which I think is, um, you know, kind of nice and, and, and charming. It shows that nobody's perfect. Right. Um, but one of them, I guess, made an offhand comment in a, in a paper that there was some system that had very high dimensional data in some, in some kind of context. And so therefore that meant that there were more surfaces of attack. It sounded like there was some kind of adversarial situation. And so if you have lots of dimensions, there's lots of different ways that it could be attacked. So it's more vulnerable. It makes sense. Like that's, that's a fairly intuitive statement, but he said, you know, I didn't really do any research that proved that or mm. supported any actual evidence that higher dimensional systems are more vulnerable to attack. I didn't even really define what that, maybe what that meant in a super rigorous sense. It was just something that I kind of said in this offhanded way. And so it, it could be true or something, but you can imagine that, you know, there might be scenarios in which that isn't true. And so to say something like that, that's a little bit overly sweeping, uh, right. could then kind of create this misconception because then some some graduate student comes along later and they read that and they're like okay that makes sense and they they think it's true because it's in a published paper right and then yeah, they start telling all their friends and yeah <laughs> and so you know at some point that could just enter the common wisdom but maybe it's not really based on any research that any anyone ever did it was just some speculation that got accepted oh that's tricky um yeah well so it's it's just about being, you know, very skeptical of one's own claims and, and, you know, it's one of the annoying attributes of academics, I guess, sometimes is these weasel words where they, nothing is ever an actual absolute statement, but say like, in some cases, it can be possible that, you know, yeah. one could conclude blah, 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 but it does convey uncertainty. And in some cases that's that's you know, fair and legitimate and what, what you should do responsibly. Yeah. It, it seems like, it seems like human language is not super well uh, equipped to communicate certainty or like levels of certainty, I should say. Um, and so you end up with these, I mean, like even saying 
in some cases it could be said that like okay but like with what probability like 90 percent of the cases or like 10 percent, or you know like you you don't really it's it's hard to it's hard to know maybe what like what order of magnitude you might be talking about um and then if you do put numbers to it in a paper then it looks like you're pinning it down with exactly that level of certainty. Like your level of certainty has a high level of certainty. So <laughs> it, it just, it feels like, gosh, we maybe we should have just come up with a completely new <laughs> language. Um, I, I mean, I guess in a sense, uh, research papers do have uh, a slightly different language. Like these terms, like very certain, have a different meaning in a research paper. Um, or in like a, a CDC report or something like that, then it does maybe just in normal everyday conversation. Well, and so that actually raises another point that they bring up here. So there were there were a few things in there that I think were showed up in this paper. So another thing that they levy some criticism for is around the terminology that sometimes gets used. And this happens in machine learning a lot. Um, they call this misuse of language. There was a, a section on this and they had a few different examples. Suggestive definitions, overloading terminal techno, technical terminology, and suitcase words. So let's take these in order. Um, suggested right. definitions. So this is a thing that pops up in machine learning uh, somewhat frequently. Um, and it's where there's fairly uh, things that sound technical or that are suggesting a certain uh like level of performance but that that's not particularly well defined so some good examples here might be something like reading comprehension so we're saying like an algorithm has a certain level of reading comprehension or in other contexts there's sometimes these classifiers that are used and and they're described as human level performance or maybe in other situations there's there's uh algorithms that are described as biased and those are all terms that have like enough layers of meaning to them and are fairly suggestive of uh ideas that we have as 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 people that have like a lot of like richness and context to them but that's not necessarily exactly what they're meaning in a in a machine learning sense like they're suggestive of of analogous ideas but they're not exactly the same thing and so calling them by the same terms muddies the water a little bit right um, another example that they give, and I'm, I'm sure that this is one we've been guilty of, um, overloading technical terminology. So sometimes there's, there's terms that have a very specific technical meaning, but then they start to, that technical meaning tends to get eaten away a little bit in when they're actually used in a sentence. So I learned in this paper that there's a very precise definition of a generative network and that's slightly different than sort of a looser way that people use it. Um, and so if you're using it in that looser way, then the idea that there's this very crisp definition of a thing that's called a generative network, well, that's not quite as true anymore because now I'm using it in a, in a slightly different sense. And that, again, makes it a little bit harder to understand what I'm trying to, what I'm saying exactly in this paper. Uh, and then suitcase words uh, is the idea that there's, there are words that pack together a variety of meanings uh, so this is a little bit similar to suggestive definitions, but a good example here might be generalization. You say there's mm -hmm. an algorithm that generalizes. There's a lot of different ways that it could generalize. Like it generalizes to some kind of out of sample 
like holdout data set, it generalizes to many different types of problems. It generalizes from a laboratory setting where it's being trained into some kind of deployment out in the wild. Wow, you know, there's all these different things that we can mean by generalization. And so, and that uh, all just depends on the context. And sometimes the author might have a certain context in their head and the reader might come to that sentence with a slightly different context. And so you yeah. get some miscommunication. Yeah. So that's super hard. Um, oh. And then I think one other thing that you mentioned uh, earlier in, in your, uh, in your, your ponderings that I wanted to come back to. Was, musings. Yes. Uh, they talked about a, another fault of some of these papers called, they called mathiness. Mathiness. Yeah. Is that like sounding mathy, but not actually being fully rigorous with their math? Kind of. Yeah. It's the Mathiness idea sounds that... like an SNL skit word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so think about it. If you're reading a paper and you're reading along, you're reading along and you're understanding it and then it, boom, they drop, they start to drop a bunch of math in it. Like what's oh, your a, reaction to that out. as a reader? I'm like, ah, get, I run that. But I mean, I, maybe, maybe I'm not the average reader of these papers, but I get okay. scared. Well, let's imagine that you're, hmm, let's change the scenario a little bit. Uh, <laughs> let's imagine that there's two papers that you're reading as a, uh, and let's let's suppose that the math is is understandable. It's not completely okay. it's not completely unintelligible to the uninitiated. Two papers that you're reading, and they're describing uh, roughly the same phenomenon, and one of them has a bunch of equations in it, and the other one doesn't. What's your what's your perception of the per of the scholarship of those two papers compared to each oh, other? Oh, I see what you're getting at. If it has math, I assume that. It is being that that it is more precise, perhaps that it is like uh, maybe a higher level of scholarship or maybe more, maybe even more reputable, maybe uh, more rigorous. Sure. But then uh, and and some of those things like they could be true, but just because it has an equation in there, like let's imagine that there's a. um <laughs> You know, this this is something that would occasionally I, I recall from my physics days. You know, it, 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 let's imagine there's a machine learning paper and they're trying to explain how stochastic gradient descent works. And the way that they start the paper is they're like, so Einstein said that E equals MC squared. And therefore, here's this thing that we're going to say about stochastic gradient descent. And so you're like, I don't really know what you're talking about, but you said it with so much authority with all your math there that like i guess that's equals mc squared i don't see why that's relevant but you're you're telling me that it is and it's an equation and i don't really i can't mm -hmm. really figure out what you what you meant but i can't prove you wrong and so it almost you know, like pulls it almost like borrows on the credibility of einstein's theory of relativity <laughs> Um, yeah, and so yeah. I just kind of assume that, like, okay, well, you know, they they invoked it, so probably it follows. So I guess this is bulletproof. Yeah, I think this was, uh, you know, one of the things they call this in the paper is spurious theorems. Like, it's stuff that you don't. Like, maybe it's relevant. Maybe it's not even. It, maybe it's not even a bad point that you're making, or it's not even. It's true, but it just doesn't add anything to the scholarship or the 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 um, gravity of the paper to have an equation there, but just having an equation there makes it look more impressive. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's mathiness. That makes sense. 
Yeah. And so I think we've now covered uh, most of the big things that they cited as some of the troubling trends and then had a few some stuff in the in the back half of the paper that I thought was uh, pretty nice, like speculation on some of the causes, like why is this stuff happening? Um, And those are all things that make a lot of sense to me. So just to quickly go over those, some of the some of the reasons that they propose and I would be curious to hear if any of our readers, you know, can think of other causes. Um, But the ones that they cite are um, complacency in the face of progress. So it's kind of like, yeah, this paper isn't very good, but we're just making a ton of progress right now. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna sweat it too much if some of these things aren't perfect. Uh, Strong results excuse weak arguments, quote unquote. Uh, Like, I don't know, you didn't do a very good job explaining your algorithm, but it seems to do really well on ImageNet, so something has to be... It's probably fine. And then a second one is growing pains. So because machine learning is growing so fast, the number of people who can write papers is expanding perhaps disproportionately quickly to the people who can review and you know write papers really well and then review other papers and, and hold other people to high standards of scholarship and accountability. So it's a little bit victim of your own success kind of situation. Uh, And then the last one is misaligned incentives. Uh, So as a, an academic, there might be some reasons that you have to overstate the importance of the result that you found or to misattribute it. So this is actually, this was something that I um, neglected to mention up above, but one of the other problems that they cite is sometimes, you know, these, these papers that talk about fancy new algorithms and then show how they give good results on certain standard problems, but those results aren't because of the fancy new algorithm. It's because maybe they did some hyperparameter tuning or something like that. So it's a little bit of a bait Mm. and switch. And so if you're trying to do something like get venture funding for a company that you're starting on the basis of this new algorithm, you're inclined to maybe overstate how important that algorithm is relative to more, you know, boring and pedestrian things that that haven't really advanced the field as much. Um, so those, that's kind of an incentive problem. And so that's, that's the, you know, real meat of the paper. Uh, there's a bit at the end, some suggestions for authors, publishers, and reviewers. What are some of the ways that you can keep this in check and tries to take that a little bit more seriously and unpack that a little bit more than just saying, don't do it. (laughs) Um, Hmm. and, and then the last thing that I'll, that I'll end with is the reason that this paper was written is it sounds like ICML, which is one of these big conferences, you know, is actively trying to have debate and discussion sections in which machine learning researchers are talking amongst themselves, uh, not just about what's the new, the new hotness in neural net architectures or whatever, but they're also uh, giving a place for there to be some conversation about, you know, a chance to step back and discuss other aspects of the field. Um, And so just acknowledging that that's, that's actually... I think a very thoughtful and open-minded thing to do. And so even though this is a little bit of a, a critical piece and there's a number of things that it calls out as like not great, uh, that overall it's because the reason the scholarship happened in the first place was because the field is trying to be thoughtful about these kinds of issues. And so overall appreciate some of the things that are nice about that, as well as acknowledge some of the things that uh, people could want to see changed. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I will, uh, keep all of that in mind when I write my next machine learning. (laughs) (laughs) For what it's worth, uh, you know, this is a paper that 
is all about how important good communication is. I thought it was a pretty well-written paper. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. we'll have a link to it on, on LinearDigressions.com as usual. Yeah, it, it seems like it's not just actually only relevant if you're writing a machine learning paper, but just generally has a lot of good tips for communication and some of the things that you can, some of the the um, holes you can fall into when you're writing in an academic context. Yep. Totally. Absolutely. So even if you're not a machine learning researcher, but you're, I don't know, let's say a PhD student who's trying to write a good thesis. Uh, I mean, a done thesis is a good thesis. Let me just start by saying that. But, <laughs> right. uh, but an even better thesis is maybe one that, you know, avoids some of these kinds of cul-de-sacs and whatnot. Um, so anyway, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really nice uh, perspective and one that I hadn't heard before. And so I wanted to tell you all about it. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.